House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and we're back again. Back again? I don't know why. I keep saying I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm walking out. Let's get all this stuff. We're getting all this stuff from... Uh, NBC about stuff. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't understand really? half. Well, I don't understand half these emails that they're sending me about different um, different things that were summaries on different shows. Oh, really? It's, it send it to a new agent here, like a new person that's taking care of it. So someone got fired, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I'm just thinking, well, I don't. I, I've never sent you one in five years, so I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you What's want. What's going on? Yeah, it's different when you're not in the studio, you know. But it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so all sorts of crazy things going on in the world. Of course, before we uh, get to our guest today, we got we we have to talk about the fart lady. It's, oh, it's, no. it, it, was, it was devastating <laughs> to me that the fart lady ended up in 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 the hospital. She's sick. You know, and uh, you know she was making good money over fifty thousand dollars in one week selling fart her farts in a jar. <laughs> she paid for it though. She paid for it. She was taking all these extra laxatives to try and make the uh, oh, and man. certain types of foods to make things a little bit more exciting. I oh. guess I, I don't know what sense she's going to. She must be like one of those. Scentologists or something. That'll be the name that she comes up with. Some new. Some new. Um, but yeah, well, there you go. See, so you can't complain about your job anymore. No. No. About how hard done by you are and how mean I am. <laughs> how mean Al is. So mean Al. Yeah, make you cry and all that. And, you know. I have, I have tissues right next to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, we won't talk about that. That's no, another no. issue. No, it's yes. <laughs> That's another issue. Well, let's see. Okay, so we are continuing today with writers all this week. Uh, so we've got a, a kind of a new one I just uh, kind of find. You know, we're always looking for people that are not big, huge writers like, what's his name, King? Isn't that Stephen Who? King or is that John oh, King? Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, but anyway, today we've got um, Mr. Ron Katz. Well, thank you for coming on the show, Ron. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Alan. <laughs> See if you say that at the end of the show. <laughs> well, um, so, Ron, I, I first thing I have to say is um, you started writing uh, kind of later in your life, um, and you were a trial lawyer for years. Um, what drew you into the writing world rather than, you know, okay, you retire maybe, but what what was the change uh, to make you go into writing? Well, it's sort of interesting because uh, you know, as a trial lawyer, I'm a pretty competitive person, and every stage of life sort of has rules to, you know, what, what, what you're supposed to do when you're a student, when you're supposed to do when you're a husband, what you're supposed to do when you're an employee or an employer, etc. But the one stage of life that doesn't really have rules is uh, retirement. And that was very difficult for me. You know, how do you how do you compete in retirement? But uh, I live in Palo Alto near Stanford University, and I was very lucky that Stanford has a program for people like me, people who have had a career. They still want to have a second career, but since they're 
knowledge is 40 or 50 years out of date, uh, they need to update it. So Stanford has a program called the Distinguished Careers Institute, and I was a fellow in that program in 2016. And uh, one of the great attributes of the program is you can take any course at Stanford. One of the courses I took was the history of the mystery novel. And like many people, I thought, you know, I could do this. I could, I could write a mystery novel. Well, as it turns out, uh, I couldn't write a mystery novel, but I could write mystery short stories. But since I was completely unknown, I had to find an angle. And my angle, and I had to write about something I knew about. So my angle was baby boomer detective couple. I had read The Thin Man. I loved that. And uh, the idea of a baby boomer uh, detective couple, sort of an update of uh, the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. You imagine that Nancy Drew married one of the Hardy Boys 50 years later. And uh, like many people, I, I didn't follow through for a while. I had a title. My title was The Mystery of the Missing Reading Glasses. And for people of a certain age, Everyone of a certain age has lost their reading classes probably at least a dozen times. And uh, I always got a laugh with that. But I was still practicing law. I really didn't do anything with it. And then one day I said, you know, either I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do it. So I just sat down and I write a, wrote a 5,000-word uh, story. And my goal was for the story to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And when I got a beginning, a middle, and an end, I submitted it. There's a lot of these e-zines that publish uh, detective stories, and it was accepted. And once it was accepted and once it was out there, I started getting feedback. And my kids told me, you know, publication is really old school. You really don't want to do that. You want to be online. So I started a website, and I started advertising on Facebook. And it's just amazing. The... Uh, the specificity of targeting on Facebook. And I started getting a lot of feedback from readers. Well, I now have over 3,200 followers on Facebook and 11 sleuthing uh, silver stories. The, the name of my characters are Barb and Bernie Silver, the idea silver hair, et cetera, et cetera. And they're called the sleuthing silvers. And uh, I'm working on the 12th. And my goal now, since I, I have found out that writing short stories is probably a very good path to bankruptcy, since nobody really <laughs> pays for those, uh, my end game now is, and, and if you read the stories, you'll see they read like a, a, a radio play, really. Right. So the end game is to have a, a streaming series on the Hallmark Movies and Mystery Channel or Netflix or something like that, half-hour episodes. And I do, I, I don't know how to write a pilot, but I do have some younger colleagues who know how to uh, do that, and they are in the process of writing a pilot. So hopefully uh, on a streaming station near you, uh, the Sleuthing Silvers will appear in the next year or so. Well, uh, there we have it. I, uh, <laughs> I actually listen to a lot of the, you know, uh, the old radio shows um, on audio almost every night. You know Richard Diamond and and uh, all of those old ones. Shadow, Shadow, Philip, Shadow. yeah, Philip Marlowe, and I've been going through a lot of ones that I have never heard before, just to get a feel for it. But I've always been fascinated, and they're half-hour episodes, and they're read out by uh, actors and 
different people like that. So I think it's a I think it's an interesting market. I really enjoy it myself. Um, so it's it's a good idea. Hopefully that works for you. And uh, well, know. if you have to get everything into you know what will be a half hour show, that that's quite a feat. You know, you've yeah. got to get all the red herrings in, all the suspects, the twists and the turns, etc. But those old radio plays are my model. I've, I've heard all the Philip Marlowe ones. I, I thought those were terrific. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think it works. I think people like that. And also I'm writing for a demographic whose attention spans are shortening by the day. So uh, the idea of them reading a full-blown novel I think is much less likely than them reading a short story or watching a half-hour TV show. Yeah. Yeah, and I find with myself as I get older, I'm getting more into listening to books than uh, reading them. Yeah, that's true. And, and also when you read a lot of these books, especially if it's like a series that has, you know, 32 books in it, et cetera, uh, to my eye, there's, there's a lot of padding, you know, a lot of descriptions of what they ate for dinner and things of that sort of stuff that really isn't necessary to carry the story forward. So I'm trying to get it down to the essence and uh, – Judging from the feedback, I get, I mean, another advantage of being online is you get a lot of feedback from readers, and uh, they're enjoying it. Yeah, you certainly can. I mean, you have to be careful of that, because as you get bigger and bigger online, uh, you start getting a lot of feedback that's not necessarily the nicest. <laughs> uh, and, and, and you don't want it to direct you too much, if that makes sense. Yeah, you want to be interdirected, no question about that. Uh, but you have to take the good with the bad. Quite frankly, there's very, very little bad. You know, most of the bad stuff comes from people who, you know, have some sort of political axe to grind or some sort of religious axe to grind. You know, things that are really off to the side of, of what I'm doing. I would say, uh, of the thousands of comments that I've received, I remember all the negative ones. There's three. Yeah, and you hunt them down. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Barb and Bernie do. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that that leads me to your Barb and Bernie. So uh, those two characters, your your main characters, how did you develop them? Like, are they after yourself and someone else, or are they totally made up? Well, they're really, of course, it's fiction. You know, they say, right, what you, what you know about. Well, I know about baby boomers. I've been a baby boomer my whole life, and I know a lot of baby boomers. So they're really a composite of... Uh, of everyone I know, and uh, there's baby boomers have a lot of foibles. You may not have noticed, but baby boomers do have a lot of foibles. So I do sort of concentrate on the foible aspect of it. Uh, Barb and Bernie have been married for over 30 years, so they act like an old married couple uh, would act, uh, which has some humorous aspects to it. And uh, that part is, is really easy for me because it's really it's my lived experience. Yeah, so you're putting a lot of yourself into that that characterization, your main characters. I wonder um, when you when you're writing um, with the same characters over a series, are, are you kind of free plotting what you're going to do with your characters? I mean, as they evolve, uh, I mean, each book, each story is going to have a different kind of subject, right? A different thing that happens. But I wonder about the uh, your Bernie and and Barb, if um, if 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 you if you're if you're growing the characters throughout the stories as well. Well, there's a, a character arc 
you know, obviously as they age, uh, there's an obvious arc there. I would say for the first 11 stories, they really haven't changed very much, but I put them in very, very different uh, circumstances. They've been to New Guinea to solve a mystery. They've been to Paris. They've been to Rome. They've been to Moscow. Uh, they've had uh, a mystery relating to uh, final arrangements, mystery of the disappearing deceased, a lot of art theft. So when you put them in different situations, obviously different aspects of their characters come out. And, of course, they have aches and pains. You know, Bernie says, you know, basically uh, something hurts all of the time and everything hurts some of the time. You know, that's just a a, a factor of, of, of aging. And uh, in the latest one that I'm writing now, he just got a hip replacement. And, you know, they have the issues of age. They have intergenerational issues. We know that there's tension, for example, between the millennials and the baby boomer generation, and they, they uh, deal with that. They actually have a Gen X uh, art professor that they work with on their uh, art cases, and so they're trying to emphasize uh, intergenerational cooperation. Their motto is they only take cases where age is an edge. So, for example, they go undercover at a uh, retirement facility, which you can't do if you're 25 years old. And the latest one, they're going to go undercover at a corporation that's uh, suspected of age discrimination. Well, obviously, you can't be a young person for that. But for the art ones, they have uh, had this intergenerational cooperation, and they're developing a second motto, which is intergenerational ingenuity. So, uh, you know, the generations, there is tension between the generations, but ultimately the generations have to learn how to live together, and uh, and they will. Well, I was wondering, um, are you the type of writer that um, where maybe your characters have um, done something to surprise you, they've kind of gone off the rails a bit, or do you feel like you're totally in control and uh, basically uh, plot everything out? Well, uh, you know, control is an illusion. I think even if I thought I had it, it would be an illusion. But it's interesting for me because what, what happens is I put them in a situation. You know, a certain thing has happened. For example, uh, you may or may not know that the Mona Lisa was stolen in 1911. And there's a mystery relating to that uh, situation. Did they really get the real Mona Lisa back or not? And then Barb and Bernie go after that. But basically... The process for me is that I put them in a situation, and then they sort of take off. I write 500 words. I get to a roadblock. I go to, you know, have a drink. I go to sleep. I wake up, and the roadblock's gone. And then they're they're off to the races. But basically, they lead the process. I don't lead the process. The unconscious mind is your friend. It is. It really is. It's, uh, I think Freud said that. Yeah. I, I, I think that yeah, if you have a, quite a few cocktails, yeah, the roadblocks go. <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's how the, I do it. You know. The writing is help. The writing receives a little bit of help from my friends. Well, there you go. <laughs> you know, we all need, I, I, I wonder, but, you know, these ideas that you come up with, like the age discrimination and the uh, things like that, where do they come from? Is that something you, you see on the news somewhere or you hear a story? And then you kind of go, I wonder how they would do it. And then you sort of 
jump into it that way. Um, is, is that kind of your process? Well, the baby boomers are always in the news because they're the biggest generation. They're the most wealthy generation. And aging has a lot of issues, you may have noticed. Mm. So whatever those issues, you know, for example, I went and made my final arrangements. Well, that is a very horrible process. <laughs> and so out of that came a uh, the story, The Disappearing Deceased, where uh, they're dealing with uh, some Russian mafioso who uh, they they say they're cremating their body, but they basically just take your body and give you cement powder instead, which looks exactly like cremains. And uh, so they have to decide that Bernie has to go undercover. He has to actually feign his own death in order to solve that mystery. So uh, there's so many issues that face uh, older people. And those are the issues that I write about because of their motto, where age is an edge. You know, they, there has to be a reason for someone to read my mystery rather than somebody else's mystery. And to my knowledge, there is no other mystery series where there's, a first of all, a, a baby boomer couple, and secondly, where they're dealing exclusively with issues where age is an edge. So that, that is what I hope sets me apart. The ideas are things like, you know, when you're talking about the Mona Lisa th theft in nine, uh, 1911, um, so these, these things, these, these, these old ideas, do you go out and research these, these old events? And oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the two most recent ones are in that category. One is the Mona Lisa, and, you know, very few people know that it was actually stolen in 1911, and, uh, you know, what actually happened to it is a little bit unclear. And then the most recent one is called The Mystery of the Vanished Van Gogh, and it's widely believed that Van Gogh committed suicide. But in fact, uh, there's a lot of evidence that Van Gogh was shot. And so, uh, and there was a recent uh, book written by a couple of Pulitzer Prize winners that brought up the evidence that shows that, that Van Gogh probably was shot. For example, the bullet didn't go through his body. It meant that he was, it was being held more than an arm's length from him. He uh, brought back, he came back from his suicide to an inn, and he died 30 hours later. Why would he do that? He, he left the inn with his easel and his canvas. He didn't bring it back. They never found the gun. There were two youths who tormented him and who were obsessed with guns. So all this evidence came up uh, against a hundred years of people just romanticizing Van Gogh. So he cut tear off, he committed suicide, etc. The evidence really points the other way. So if the evidence points the other way, I can fictionally solve that. And uh, because I uh, love history, I know Alan, you write. Uh, true crime, so you, you're focused on things that actually happened. I think the best of both worlds is where you're focusing on something that actually happened and you can actually make something up to resolve that, which, you know, there's a lot of cold, the Van Gogh case is a cold case, the Mona Lisa case is a cold case that everybody thinks was solved, and those are the coldest cases of all. Yeah, but I, I, I have the Mona Lisa in my in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, a lot of people think that. You're not the only one. I bet Dave has it, too. Well, I do. <laughs> <laughs>
Ah, uh, yeah, you know, and and uh, the world is flat. You know, you can you can go go at her. Um, but with today's times, in the last couple of years, is you know, it's it's gone to another point where it, it happens in history where there's a lot of tension and stress between uh, different people, especially in in America. Um, I wonder um, because you're dealing with a lot of baby boomer subjects and some of these topics i wonder if you have to do you feel you have to be careful on how you approach them and how you write them well i you know i i am writing about how a baby boomer experiences these problems as they come up and they are very personal and practical problems age discrimination is a very personal and practical problem how do you deal with it if you're in a big company and people are saying, you know, you should be uh, retired, you're taking my job, you have too much wealth, and then you say, well, you know, you, you can't buy a house because you pay too much for avocado toast. I mean, there's a lot <laughs> going on. And uh, I'm looking at it very much from the personal point of view because it, Bernie and Barb are solving other people's problems. They're not solving their problems, so they don't really have time to to form a personal opinion. They have a job. They have to solve a crime. And so when that's the job, I think you can keep politics out of it because you can talk to people. You can talk to people from the left. You can talk to people from the right as you do your investigation. But uh, you're not taking a point of view because you have a job. Your job is to solve this crime. Yeah. It's, 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 just, a, it's just interesting times, you know. You have to wonder... Um... Um, where it's all going to go. Are, are you, so when you write, um, you're, you're writing in modern-day times, I take it. I am. Uh, in fact, I even wrote uh, one that had to do with the pandemic. Ooh. So when the pandemic came into it, basically masking came into it. Uh, because, of course, if you wear a mask, a, a time when you have to wear a mask is like a bank robber's dream. Wow, I can wear a mask. Nobody's going to question. So, uh, but it is very, very up to date. Uh, some of them are ri literally ripped from the headlines. The, the one about the cremation, that, that was a real case. The Van Gogh thing is based on a true controversy. The Mona Lisa thing is based on a true controversy. So, uh, you know, age discrimination, you read about it in the paper quite frequently. So it's, it's all there. Uh, but, I mean, the, when they were asked to, to look into the Van Gogh mystery, of course, there's not many clues left from something that happened 130 years ago. And then uh, I think Bernie somewhat sarcastically asked his, his boss, you know, well, what, what's next? Do you want us to find out who started the Peloponnesian War? You know, so uh, the combination of, of the history and the current events, I think, is entertaining. But it's very much set in the current day. Well, I was just wondering if you found it um, a hard transition um, from being a sports lawyer and, uh, for lack of a better word, like more law lawyerly writing to um, a transition to that creative fiction, or um, d did you find it helpful having, having done that uh, as a profession? Well, I use the word justice a lot less <laughs> than I did before. Like, this is an outrage of justice sort of thing. No, I, I, I <laughs> use that less. You know, I think 
when you've done something for over 40 years, as I did as a trial lawyer, as a sports lawyer, you've pretty much done it all. And I was ready for something new. I, I didn't feel that I was bringing the freshness and the energy to my clients that they deserved. Uh, when I started this new career, I, I felt like a rookie. You know, I felt all the enthusiasm of a 20-year-old, even though I was 74 when I started. You don't look a day over 73. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I just, uh, I'm Put terrible. A bump. Yeah. I, well, this is on radio, so we don't have to worry about that. Yeah, no, you you, you know you're looking pretty good there. Uh, I, I I wonder now. So when you um, when you write these stories, do you, do you sort of have a subtext in in mind? Do you sort of have something that you're trying to get across to someone, as in a point, and it's not just a story? No, I think it's a. What I'm trying to get across is the human comedy. It's really a, a comedy of manners. You know, you have people in a certain situation, baby boomer, married couple, and, you know, what is entertaining and funny about that situation? My, my goal is to entertain. So, so who do you look to um, for writers? Do you, do you have favorite writers yourself? Well, Dashiell Hammett, of course, wrote The Thin Man. Uh, the Thin Man is the, uh, is the model for this. Uh, the other models are Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew, when I grew up, when I was growing up, like many people, I read all of the Hardy Boy novels. And Franklin W. Dixon was my favorite author because he was the author of all the Hardy Boy novels. I was quite distraught when I found out that Franklin W. Dixon is about 25 different people who wrote those uh, books. And it's the same with Nancy Drew. Uh, Carolyn Keene, I think, was about 10 different people. But those are the models, uh, Hammett, uh, Dixon, a.k.a. everybody else, and Keene, a.k.a. everybody else. My, my goal, if, if, if this is going to be remembered, I, I hope that it's remembered in the same way that people remember the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew, because people have a lot of affection for those series. Yeah, absolutely. With, um, with with Bob and Bernie, when you write them, um, do you have an inner monologue in your head? Can you hear them? We're just trying to find out if you can if you're hearing voices. <laughs> well, I, I do. You know, I mean, most of the most of the books, most of the stories are made up of dialogue. I move the plot along through dialogue, and as I said, since I know how baby boomers talk, uh, that is very easy. That comes easily to me. If I had to describe the Hope Diamond or something like that, you know, I probably wouldn't do a very good job of it. But in terms of snappy dialogue, uh, you know, I know how to do that. How, how long does it take you to write one of these um, short stories now? Well, it's a process. You know, I finish one, and then sort of the well is dry. I think I'll never be able to write another story. And I just take take a week or two off, go skiing or something like that. And then gradually, I'll see something in the news. I'll start collecting items. And then uh, the items will st stimulate thought. And, you know, I'll start seeing funny angles of those items. That's like I'm doing now with respect to age discrimination. And then I sit down and I write about 500 words a day. And it takes... Uh, about 10 to 14 days to uh, 
a complete of five to six thousand word short story. And and so do you have like uh, you're, you're not going through any any publishers, big or small? Uh, do, do you kind of run with an editor, or do you anything like that, or do you do it all yourself? Well, I have published. I mean, I have published in these easings, right? And uh, you know, as I said, that being online is much better than that. But my wife is a PhD in English, a former English professor. She's my editor. And however mean you think you are today, my, my wife is much meaner to me in her editor role. <laughs> I so, guess. You know, she's pretty tough. And I sent out to some other people as well. So I would say by the time that uh, I either submit it to somebody and get it published, as I, say, I think five of them have been published, or I self-publish it on my website, I would say it's gone through somewhere between 10 and 20 drafts. Wow. So where do you see yourself going with all this? Well, as I said, I think it's the uh, it, it's ideal for a streaming series. There was recently uh, a series on, uh, it was Hulu, called Only Murders in the Building. And that involved older detectives Steve Martin and Martin Short, and they teamed up with Selena Gomez. And it was very amusing. So that, that's really sort of uh, where I would like to be. There's a huge audience for of baby boomers. Uh, they are an affluent audience. And I think that uh, right now that is an underserved market. The, the biggest comment that I get uh, on Facebook is, I'm so happy to see people of my own age be the hero. Because if you, you know, look, well, if you go to the movies these days, I guess every movie is pretty much a superhero movie. Well, very few superheroes are senior citizens. So uh, I, I think that that's, that's the end game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, Superman's been around a long time. He should be older than he looks. Well, he's the man of steel. Don't forget, he's the man of steel. Yeah, that's, you know, it's all true. So let's talk about your 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 category here. You talk about it being a cozy mystery. So for people that are not sure what that is or what, what you mean by that, what is it? A cozy mystery, uh, somebody recently defined it as a mystery where people get murdered but nobody gets hurt. It's usually set in a small town. Uh, my uh, The sleuthing silver small town is Palo Alto, where I live. Uh, usually has a strong female character. Uh, Barb, of course, is a strong female character. There's no graphic violence, and there's no profanity. And the the genre was really started by Agatha Christie, who has sold something like 80 million books or some huge uh, number, and is a very, very popular genre uh, because there's just a lot of people who, you know, that, that just – Touches all the bases for that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's kind of like the old Murder She Wrote series in a way. Exactly. You know, um, it's it's pretty interesting. So now your your sub characters, your extra characters that you put in there, I, do you pick those up out of like coffee shops or um, people you know or someone you see on TV? Like, where where do you get your extra characters? Well, I started writing when I was 74 years old, so I've had a certain amount of life experience. <laughs> and oh, yeah. as a litigator, you see really the best and worst of humanity. You have, it's a more intensive experience because, uh, you know, not everybody spends their lives cross-examining other people. I did. So you see a lot, 
and you learn a lot about uh, human nature. And, uh, you know, some people will come up to me and say, well, oh, isn't that so-and-so, or isn't that so-and-so? And my answer is always the same. You know, it's a fictional work. But obviously, uh, you know, the fiction has to come from somewhere. It comes out of my brain. And uh, as I said before, it's really, in some ways, a composite of everybody I've ever known. But, uh, you know, there are, it's closer to some people that I've known than to other people that I've known. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you see someone out that cuts you off on the road or something, you can take that character. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. You know. I had a friend who, uh, in the first one, usually I use names of my friends in some way during the, uh, the story. And so I had one friend whose name I hadn't used yet, and he, he wrote to me and, and asked me to use his name. And I uh, used one of his names uh, for the villain. So uh, he's never asked me again. In fact, he hasn't spoken to me since then. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> um, okay, so now let's let's talk about your uh, promoting. So now you are on the internet. You have a website. So what's your website for people to go find out more about you? Uh, very simple: www.thesleuthingsilvers.com. That's pretty simple. Now, what other social media are you um, taking advantage of right now? Well, I you know I have a. Uh, Barb and Bernie have a Twitter account. Barb and Bernie have a LinkedIn account. But Facebook is really where the action is. And uh, Facebook has just been terrific. You know, you uh, want to advertise on Facebook, they say, well, fine, if you want to send this to everybody between 18 and 65, you know, we have 290 million people in that category. They say, well, no, I'd like to stick with uh, people who like mysteries. Okay, well, that's 50 million. Okay, well, I'd like to stick with uh, females, because females read most of the stories, they write most of the, uh, they buy most of the books. It's okay, well, we've got 7 million people for it. Oh, I want people from 55 plus. I don't want anybody under 55. Okay, well, here's 2.7 million people. That's your target audience. And if you pay us $30 a day, we'll reach 5,000 of those people for you every day. It's incredibly effective. It's mm -hmm. unbelievable. I know Facebook's not popular right now. A lot of people are saying a lot of bad things. As an advertising medium, medium, it's unbelievable. Which, and so, are you going to be running through Amazon at all, or? Well, I I might. You know, it's uh, I, I'm not really well. Of course, Amazon also has a streaming service, uh, the mm. Prime service. So uh, that's not really my way forward. My way forward is to turn these stories into television plays, television uh, series. So, yes, I'll probably put something on Amazon at some point, but it doesn't really help me to get where I want to go. Uh, the problem with Amazon, from a, the point of view of an unknown author, and, of course, when I started out, I was completely unknown, is that people have to look for you on Amazon. Whereas in Facebook, they find you. It's it's a completely different situation, and it is it's powerful. Mm. Yeah, certainly. So, what's your feeling? How was how was uh, COVID in the sense of um, when when something like COVID is going on, and there's a lot of stress going on? You got 
all these people fighting and all this stuff going on on the airplanes and all this action, tension and stuff. So when things are that way, does it affect your in your writing? You know, I have avoided COVID except in one story, masking played a role because it was a part of a disguise. But I have generally avoided that. I read an article the other day which surveyed the fiction during the time of the 1918 flu pandemic. And it turns out nobody wrote about it. I guess because they thought, well, it's either going to pass or we're all going to die or what. I don't know why. And I think there's very few works of fiction now that deal with uh, the pandemic. It's too changeable. It's too uh, ephemeral. So uh, basically I would say it's played no role in, in my writing. But does it? How does it affect you? But personally, so uh, I mean, because a lot of times when when people write, uh, especially I guess in fiction too, you you're writing it about an emotion as well. There's there's feeling in it, and you're talking about Barb and Bernie, and and you're talking about their aches and pains and different things going on between them. It's sometimes funny and all this stuff. So I think um, if there's a tension, if 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 things seem really stressful. You know, everyone's locked down and you can't go outside and, and there's all these weird things going on. Does that interfere in you being able to write? Now, for me, it's been a help because it's given me more time. I mean, you have to understand, I'm new at this. So, first of all, I do a lot of research for each of my stories. That takes time. And then uh, the writing, you know, as I say, it takes only 10 to 14 days, but then the editing process and the rewrite process, you know, that's another month or two. So that the in that sense, the pandemic has given me the gift of time, and I've been more productive than I think I otherwise would have been. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's just interesting. It would be interesting to see if, uh, if, if it affects, because certain writers say they can't write at all. Some, some people get kind of the feeling of shut down because they're, um, you know, going through it. It stresses them out, I guess. Yeah, I guess my feeling is different that uh, Barb and Bernie are entertaining people and people need entertainment during these dark times. It's kind of an escape in a sense. It is it's definitely an escape. Yeah, very interesting, very interesting. Well, it's certainly um, always good to talk to uh, new writers, and uh, we wish you the best, you know. Well, thank um, you for having me. Now, our, our guest, of course, is the author, Ron Katz, and thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you. Thanks, Ron. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. <laughs>